Blog Talk Radio. Stephen B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler, from the state of North Carolina, with my co-host, Tim Bench, from the state of Texas, Glenn McMillian, from the state of Texas, Courtney Carruthers, from the state of Illinois, Steve Cordo, from the state of Illinois, Dr. Frank Washington, from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips, from the state of Georgia, Brian Christian Coleman, from the state of New Jersey, and Robert Lee Johnson, from the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, we are grateful that you are tuned into our radio broadcast this evening. This radio show is brought to you by loving and faithful members of the Churches of Christ. We would ask you to take out your Bibles and study along with us. We have a very exciting show planned for your spiritual enlightenment and your edification. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve one zero zero nine at yahoo.com or you can give me a call Steve B's Media Production at 910-491-6405 now again this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area please feel free to contact us now folks get out your Bibles and stay on with us here on the Gospel Light radio show 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you would be with my co-hosts, Robert Lee Johnson and Glenn McMillian on the broadcast this evening as they break unto us the bread of life. And also my co-host, Tim Bench, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you would bless them and their families that support their efforts. They may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you would bless our listeners who are tuning in through Blog Talk Radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well and that their hearts may be pricked as they consider their eternal stance before you and their soul salvation. And it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. Father, we pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us in love with all the days of our lives, and that we have been faithful unto death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the broadcast. Our speakers for this evening's show in the first segment, my co-host, Glenn McMillian. He serves at the Waterview Church of Christ there in Richardson, Texas. He'll be making his proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, I have a question from my shout-out platform on social media, Facebook. I'll be posing to my co-host, Tim Bent. With He serves with Oham Lane Church of Christ there in Abilene, Texas. He'll be answering our question. And then to close out the show, my co-host Robert Lee Johnson. He's the evangelist for the New Horizon Church of Christ there in Lake City, Florida. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next voice you hear be that of my co-host Glenn McMillian. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host glenn mcmillian and his subject l is for limited atonement uh thank you steve thank you for those who are listening in the uh space that we're in uh i appreciate the uh, every opportunity they get to share uh, the gospel with you even uh, in this virtual format. Um, tonight uh, should be fairly quick because there's not a lot to um, what we're talking about tonight, but uh, those tend to be the best lessons. Uh, tonight we're talking about L is for limited atonement. Uh, as a recap, we're going through the entire concept of the Calvinist structure um, that is uh, usually constructed in the TULIP as an acronym. T, we talked about total depravity. Um, That is that no man can choose to do good uh, because he is corrupt from his creation. Uh, You, we talked about the unconditional election that God beforehand chose uh, who was going to be saved and who was going to be lost uh, based on no preconditions, just on whatever he willed to do. And today we've gotten to L, which is L is limited atonement. So, so we talked about how Calvinism is not just a doctrinal system. In fact, it's not primarily a doctrinal system. It's primarily a logical system. So it starts from the idea that God is sovereign, that God makes all of the decisions that matter, and therefore what logically follows from that are doctrines that may or may not, as we will study, 
have any basis in Scripture. Because God makes all the decisions, there are no decisions for you to make. Therefore, you are completely and totally depraved. That means you cannot make any good choices because God God makes all the choices. Therefore, God has to choose who is uh, lost and who is saved based on his own construction of how he wants things to go. And therefore, whatever salvation is available is only available to those who he has chosen. Uh, And that's where we are in this uh, progression, as it were. Um, As you can probably guess, uh, this is the least popular aspect of Calvinist doctrine. Uh, it it doesn't sound good to to, to talk to people and tell them um, that they don't have an opportunity to be saved because God doesn't care enough about you. But again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm explaining, and we should allow them to explain in their own words uh, what this doctrine means to them. So from uh, David N. Steele and Curtis Thomas's The Five Points of Calvinism, Defined, Defended, and Documented, It reads, Christ's redeeming work was intended to save only the elect and actually secured salvation for them. In addition to putting away the sins of his people, Christ's redemption secured everything necessary for their salvation, including faith, which united them to him. The gift of faith is infallibly applied by the Spirit to all for whom Christ died, thereby guaranteeing their salvation. And from the Five Points of Calvinism by uh, Limited Atonement by John Gill, the love of God in giving Jesus as a sacrifice was not a general kindness to all creation, but it is a special and discriminating love, the favor which he bears to his own people as distinct from others. So again, as we see uh, from... Their own words, I I am not mischaracterizing uh, this doctrine. They teach very explicitly that Christ only died to save a subset of people. God's love only extends uh, to a subset of people and everyone else. He doesn't have any any care for or or any ability. Uh, I guess he has the ability, but he has no will. Uh, to save or to to extend any uh, kindness towards them. And again, right off the bat, that that doesn't sound like something that we've ever uh, heard about God or or would ever want to hear about God. Um, In fact, I tried to go through the Bible and come up with a list of scriptures that taught anything uh, akin to what this is, this doctrine is saying, and, I, and this is the entire list, uh, and I'll, I'll list them from A to Z. Here's, here's how this list goes. That concludes the entire list. So, as we can see, there's nothing in Scripture that, that even hints at uh, this blood of Christ only applying to a limited number of people. Um, so how do they make this argument? And, and the, so, again, we've talked about the why they make this argument. The, the why they make this argument is 
because it has to be in order for the rest of the, the system to work. In order for there to be a total depravity, if, if no one can choose to be saved, God has to choose those who are saved, and then he has to extend his power to save them, but only them, because if, he, if the power was open to save anybody else, then not everybody would be totally depraved. There would, have, there would be some other way of attaining salvation other than to be chosen. And if they're – so the people who are chosen are the people who Christ died for, and that's, that is why this doctrine exists. Um, how they get to this doctrine from scripturally, again, they're, they're, they're not really doing that, but let's, let's talk about some of the scriptures that they, they try to fit into this framework. And uh, again, we'll start with their, their strongest uh, arguments come from the book of Romans, and we will uh, we'll start to get into Romans chapter 9 today. And Romans chapter 9 really comes into play when we talk about um, the preservation of the saints and, and things like that. But Romans chapter six, or sorry, Romans chapter five and Romans chapter nine are really where uh, the groundwork for these doctrines is laid. Because when you again look at those chapters out of context, again we're talking about chapter six, or chapter five and chapter nine. We're not looking at you know the things before that or the things after that or, or the things in between. Because if you looked at Romans as a whole, you would not get this uh, idea out of it. But when you take these pieces out, you, you look at these chapter uh, breaks that were put in by people and, and use those as if they were gospel, and then you take them and look at them in isolation. It, it, you can make these, uh, these arguments because you're isolating a specific piece of what Paul is trying to say from the whole. And again, uh, we talked about Romans chapter 5, and we'll, we'll, we'll get back to Romans chapter 5 later, about how God, where Paul makes a, an analogy, a comparison between Adam and, and Christ. What Adam did in terms of introducing the world to sin, and what Christ did in terms of introducing the world to salvation. And if you only take that argument and you don't give it any context, it sounds like uh, because of Adam, we lost our salvation, and because of Christ, we have the ability to be saved. But a similar thing happens in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 is really about uh, the salvation of Israel, how, how Paul wants Israel to be saved even though they have fallen into this condition. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, he writes, uh, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Again, the context of that verse is that Jacob and Esau were prophesied to end up in a certain place. When they were born, there was prophecy that, that Jacob would usurp it or overtake his, his brother's position. This was before they had done anything good or evil, as the, the Bible says. And so this is taken as evidence 
that God had chosen Jacob and he had not chosen Esau. And this verse here is to say that Jacob was loved and Esau was, was not only not chosen, but he was hated by God from the beginning. And, and again, if you take this out of context, that's exactly what it sounds like. Um, so what is really going on? What is really happening in this in this passage and in the rest of Scripture? Does the, does the rest of Scripture support this? And again, uh, just to break this, this section of, of Scripture down, uh, you'd have to go all the way back to Genesis and read through the story of, of Jacob and Esau. But the short answer is Jacob and Esau were condemned by their own actions. Esau was made the decision to give up his birthright to his brother Jacob because he made a decision in hate. Uh, he didn't value the gift that God gave him, and he sold it for a a, a, a bowl of porridge, as it were. And it was not that God had chosen him or that God had, did, had not chosen him or God had forced him into this. It was by his own choice. But God knew that this choice was going to be made, that, that, that Jacob was going to be the one through whom the seed was going to be passed. And that we'll get we'll get more into God's foreknowledge in, a, in another lesson because it's not related to the limited atonement at this point. But suffice it to say that there there's no conception in the scripture that God was picking and choosing winners at this point. So, if God is not picking and choosing winners, and the atonement is not limited just to those who are chosen beforehand, what does the Bible actually say about salvation? Who then can be saved? Well, the good news is that everyone can be saved. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. And we'll look at verses two, uh, verses one and two. It says, "My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also those of the whole world." Again. Christ died in order to alleviate the sins of the whole world, not just for those who are supposedly chosen beforehand, but everyone is is cleansed by the blood of Christ. Let's look again at Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, verses fourteen and fifteen.
Second Corinthians chapter five verse fourteen and fifteen. It says, "For the love of Christ controls us, having concluding this that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they might live who no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf." Again, Christ died for all, not just some, not just a few, not just the chosen, uh, but for all. And we can even go to our favorite verse in, that, that, that everyone knows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not the elect. Not for God so loved some of us. Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So I think we can easily make this case that Christ died for all of us that the Bible doesn't say that, that, that Christ's blood and or Christ's atonement was limited in any way. So, if this doctrine is central to the whole scheme, logical scheme of Calvinism, which it is, it, funnily enough, is right in the center of the tulip, um, and if this doctrine is necessary for the doctrine, for the tulip to make sense and for it to hold together, and if it is so easily countered by the plain text of Scripture, then how does this doctrine persist, number one? Number two, how does Calvinism as a system persist uh, in the face of these things? And number three, what is the effect? Because again, we're when I'm teaching these things, I, I'm primarily concerned about the effect that this doctrine, this, this doctrinal system, has on uh, millennial Christians such as myself and those that are younger that are leaving the church in droves because of the things that they learn in Bible school, and these are and this is one of those things. So, number one, why does this persist? Well, because, again, because it's necessary to the system. It's a product of the system, and it can't, the system cannot exist without it. So that's why it persists. But how come it can exist or can persist, even though it is so easily, we can easily go back to these scriptures and say, show that Christ died forever. It, it, the, the atonement is not limited. It, it is, it's universal. So how come we can't pull this out? Well, there's two answers to that. Number one, some people do choose to pull it out. So if you go to your average Baptist church these days, this is not something that they're going to talk about. Or, or even something that they're going to, to teach. So we know that there are five points of Calvinism, but a lot of them will describe themselves as a, a two-point or a three-point Calvinist because there are unpopular things, and this is the most unpopular thing, that they don't teach. So they'll, they'll conveniently pull this one out and say, well, th- that that is not something that we teach here. So we teach all the rest of the the pillars of Calvinism, that that one in the middle, we just, we just yanked it out. Uh, 
So even though logically the whole thing should fall, like a, set, a, a house of cards when you do win, uh, it's more like uh, when you're playing Jenga, right? You can pull the, the – sometimes you can pull the middle one out, and it doesn't affect the entire structure uh, because the structure is held up. Uh, even though it looks like it should fall down, uh, there, there are physics there that are, that are causing the structure to be held up in, in other ways. And that's kind of what's going on. And, and what is holding up the system in other ways is just the, well, we don't want to talk about that. But just like with Jenga, even though it doesn't cause the entire structure to fall down, it still makes the entire structure weaker by not having that, that there. Um, and people who are able to think these things through are, and able to see how the system is supposed to work can figure this out without much thought or much uh, work in order to get there. Because, again, once you've told me that I can't make good choices and that God has to choose whether or not to save me, then you can't then in the next lesson tell me that Christ died for everyone because then either everyone is saved, which is universal, then which why are we even here if everyone is saved? Why are we even going through this process? If I can be saved without even knowing anything about God, without even going to church, why am I wasting my Sunday mornings uh, going through this exercise? So either everyone is saved or you're lying about the fact that everyone is saved, right? So if, if the, you can't say that atonement is, that these other things are true, but that atonement is not limited because you have created internal contradictions. So where you're either forced to acknowledge that, yes, the atonement is limited or the atonement is unlimited because everyone is now saved through the work of Christ. But again, we, when we talk about Romans 5, they don't go that far. The second all is smaller than the first all uh, because they can't accept universalism because universalism makes God even more evil than the system of Calvinism already makes God evil. Um, so then we get to, so what is the effect of that? The effect of that is if I'm a person who's grown up in this uh, Calvinist system, you've told me that God is only going to save a certain number of people who he's already chosen. Nothing I can do makes any difference to that choice that's already been made. And the... Not, not only is that choice already been made, but now, now you're telling me when we get to limited atonement that God doesn't even care about me if I'm not part of that chosen, that nothing that God has done has been for my benefit. It's only been for the benefit of those people who are chosen. And how can I know if I'm chosen or not? Well, again, when we talked about unconditional election, you can't because there's, there is nothing – Conditional. So you can talk about maybe it has something to do with what you're doing. The 
the evidence of your salvation is how you do work for God. But if you ever change or ever slip up or ever fall back, they're going to say, well, you never were saved in the first place. None of that stuff you did ever mattered. So either I was on that list to begin with or I wasn't. So either I am saved or I'm not. And nothing else matters. So again, why go through the exercise? Why am I getting up early on Sunday morning? Why am I singing and preaching and doing all this stuff? If the, cho- the choice of whether I'm, I'm going to heaven or not has already been made. And nothing I do adds or subtracts from that credit. I might as well do whatever I want to do. And God's going to have to deal with it. But again, I can't want to do anything in that system. So if I am not wanting to do good things, then that just must be more evidence that I'm not part of the chosen. And if I'm not chosen, then this is a positive feedback loop that leads the person not only to reject this line of thinking, but reject Christianity altogether. Because there's no coming back from it. There's nothing that redeems that person. Once they start having a doubt, that doubt is evidence that they're not chosen, and then that they're not chosen, nothing matters. This is why it's, it's critical for us as Christians to be able to deal with each one of these pieces of Calvinism individually as well as the system as a whole. Because it, it's very easy to say, okay, since limited atonement is the weakest part of the system, let's attack limited atonement and the whole system falls. Well, again, number one, they're not going to let you do that because if you attack limited atonement directly, they'll just say, well, that's not something we teach, even though they have to, even though it's necessary to the system. Um, they will claim that it's not something that they believe in or something that they, they teach. So you'll have to go somewhere else in order to, to deal with this anyway. And number two, because the system needs limited atonement does not necessarily mean that the system is broken without it. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is they're going to argue this in such a way where it makes sense to them and is not broken. So again, going back to those scriptures that we talked about, uh, John 3.16, where God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right, the entire world. What they're going to say is, well, the world there is just the elect. So even though it says that, that God loved the world, he really doesn't love the whole world as we conceive it. He only loves the elect. And in this case, elect 
is the world that, that, that God is dealing with. It's a circular argument, but it's a circular argument that they can use to bring it back to the system. It preserves the system. So that's why you have to be able to deal with the entire system, because if you try to deal with just this one point, they're going to use that kind of circular reasoning to reinforce the rest of the system. So you're going to have to deal with the born in sin, the, the, the total depravity piece, the unconditional election piece, the uh, irresistible grace piece when we get to the next week. Or not next week, next time I'm here, we'll talk about irresistible grace and what that means. Um, and then the preservation of the saints, which is, again, the most popular one because that is, uh, it sounds like good news. <laughs> until you really understand, again, what's going on there. So I, I hope that that makes sense. I hope that um, we have sufficiently detailed what limited atonement is in terms of the capitalist system, that God only loves, only has expended effort in order to save uh those who he chose to save before him. And again, just saying that, <laughs> it sounds bad. It sounds like that, that doesn't, that's not the God that I want to serve. It's not the God that you probably think you serve. So you know there's something wrong just here. It doesn't ring true. And we've gone through the scriptures and shown that the scripture plainly says that Christ died for everyone, that, that the blood of Christ was expended in order to cleanse the sins of the entire world, not just a small group of people. So if we know that, we can have confidence in saying that we have the ability, we have the knowledge that the system that has been built doesn't hold together. The system that requires the blood of Christ to be limited falls because the blood of Christ is not limited. But we're going to need, in practice, a lot more in order to convince somebody who is already convinced of the system. If somebody is in the system and, and believes the system, they are going to have an answer for that or at least a, a circular reasoning that allows them to avoid answering that because they know that this is their weakness. They know that this makes what they're doing sound bad, but they're going to justify it by appealing to the other parts that sound better and then saying that because of those things, this one logically has to do this. So I hope that by going through this and by, by understanding that we have started to build a framework for how we deal with this system as a whole and how we deal with each one of these pieces individually. Um, so 
the lesson is yours. I I hope that uh, you got a lot out of this. We're going to continue to we're going to continue our our uh, our, our lesson next time. And I I come we'll be talking about eyes for irresistible grace, and we will um, hopefully have a full understanding of how this covenant system works and, and why it's so dangerous uh, to young people, especially um, who have gotten, who have grown up in it and have now rejected it uh, and, and the difficulty of bringing them back to a God that they, they think of as evil. Um, we've got to teach them about the God that loves everyone, the God that loves them and is able to save them if they choose them, that they have a choice, that they have the ability to be saved, and show them the scripture that that gives them that, as opposed to what they were growing up in that taught them that they have no choice, that they have no ability to be saved. Um, so the lesson was yours uh, tonight. I hope that you have um, gotten a lot out of it and continue to grow in the faith as we continue on the gospel light radio show. Is your congregation in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. These are the announcements for the events and activities in the Churches of Christ. If you'd like to have your events and activities announced on this radio broadcast, just contact me at Stephen B. Media Production, Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. I'll send you emails to my new email address, steve 1009 at yahoo.com. On Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, and 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, there'll be a nationwide gospel call that's sponsored by the Highland Heights Church of Christ in Houston, Texas. And the telephone number to this call is 857-216-6700. And access code is 328-497. This is a nationwide outreach to those who are not members of the Churches of Christ. And the speakers will be presenting a basic salvation message for them to learn what they must do in order to be saved, as well as information regarding the churches of Christ. This uh, this uh, episode is intended to strengthen the faith and edify those who are Christians. On Tuesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, the Delcrest Church of Christ from San Antonio, Texas presents the Women's Virtual Bible Class. And this class will be held on www.zoom.com, and the class ID number is 821-3692-8262. Daily at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time, the Ladies in Christ 
prayer line will be hosted by the Church of Christ from Lafayette, Louisiana. And the telephone number to this prayer line is 605-472-5203. And access code is 514-859. My co-host here on the Gospel Light Radio Show, Steve Cordo, has a new book entitled God, Grace, and You. And you can order this book from the 21st Century Christian Catalog. Steve Bean's video production presents. We have uh, two new productions that we're airing in conjunction with our broadcast on Tuesday evening for the Work of the Lord radio show and the Mid-Tennessee Singles Ministry out of Nashville, Tennessee. My co-host, Shauna Otis, will be hosting that show on every third Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And also, we have a new production that will air on the fourth Tuesday of the month, the Kelly Fletcher Show. And this show will air every fourth Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And just a program reminder, Stevie Bean's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. You can call to the live show at 713-955-955. 0508 or type in your search bar www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show on Tuesday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time I'll be hosting a live show what a work in the Lord radio show and on this show the first week of the month there, of the first Tuesday of the month rather there will be no show scheduled the second Tuesday of the month I have a special guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ will be presenting a message from the Word of God and in that on that program we also have the community corner segment that's the segment designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our communities also have three co-hosts on this show, actually I have two co-hosts on this show that will be presenting messages on that show the second Tuesday of the month Luke Gilbert, he's the evangelist for the Oakwood Park Church of Christ in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and my co-host Tyson Mullins he serves the Helen Street Church of Christ here in Fayetteville, North Carolina then on Thursday evening I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And that show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I have eight co-hosts on this show who will be presenting messages from the Word of God. And each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'll also be taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. I'll be posing to one of these questions to my co-hosts. And then on Friday night, we have a new time from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. I'll be hosting a live show on Blog Talk Radio, Stevie B. Acapella Gospel Music Blast Radio Show. And on this broadcast, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. On this Friday night show, my special guest in the uh, will be Curtis Wilson from Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be debuting a new CD, new album from him. He's just released. And then on the 19th of December, if I'm not mistaken about that date, that'll be my top 20 countdown show for the month of December. That'll be the last countdown show for the year of 2021. And then on December the 24th. There will be no show because that will be Christmas Eve, so there will be no show scheduled for the Christmas holiday. 
But then we'll be closing out the year on December the 31st. That'll be our New Year's Eve show, and that'll also be a special appreciation show. We want to show our appreciation to all of the artists that has appeared on that radio show for the year 2021. And also my on-demand episodes, if you can't catch any of these live shows that we're producing here or airing here on Blog Talk Radio, wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from, you can go to those uh, various platforms and type in your search bar, Stevie B Media Production, and you'll see all of the shows that we're producing here on a weekly basis. We have over 600 episodes. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, there are over 600 episodes that you can choose from. Preaching and teaching of the Word of God are some great acapella gospel music. Uh, some of the major platforms that I always like to announce that people are more familiar with to get these podcasts are Spotify, Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, YouTube, just to name a few. I'd like to give a shout out to all of my sponsors. We have a new program manager, Michelle Marco from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. If you would like to be a sponsor for any of these radio shows, just give her a call at 954 687 4705. I'd like to give a shout out to my sponsor, Sharon Norwood from Chicago, Illinois, Bethesda Memorial, Funeral Director Crematory Services out of DeSoto, Texas, Stanley Phillips from Little Rock, Arkansas, Cheryl Murrah from Charlotte, North Carolina, Yvonne Blazing Cracker Gook from Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Melvin Jackson from High Point, North Carolina, Marquise Hallman from Charlotte, North Carolina, Stephanie Booker Wilson from Greensboro. North Carolina, Diversified Financial Network LLC from Dallas, Texas. Owners Mark and Charlotte Carroll and Ordains Faith Publishing out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The three E's of Stevie B's Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. Stay tuned to the Gospel Light Radio Show, our Shout It Out question. Coming up next, stay tuned. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Thinking about what you've done for me in my life, I just want to say what you really mean to me. You're my everything, my joy and peace, you're the reason why I sing. Lord, I don't deserve anything you've given me, so I just gotta say thank you. What's nice?
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the portion of the broadcast where I have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out. And we want to pose this question to my co-host. And my co-host that will be answering our question for this evening's show is Tim Bench. He serves with the Oham Lane Church of Christ there in uh, Abilene, Texas. He'll be answering our question for the broadcast. Tim, how you doing this evening? Hello, Stevie. Now, I have a doozy for you. This question is from an anonymous query it's from the state of North Carolina. And the question is, does the scriptures teach that preachers should wear robes or any other special clothing during our worship assemblies? What say you to this question? Stevie, let's begin with looking at the rationale or the why, so to speak, of churches and denominations which encourage leadership to don robes for services to begin with. I want to start off with a uh, citation. This is from the Providence Road Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri. This was written by Jeff Myers, quote, The robe, among other things, helps emphasize the office of the pastor and de-emphasize the personality of the man in the pulpit. Sometimes it's hard to be led in worship by an elder or pastor who is a good friend or a peer, or even especially to one who is younger. To help us get over this feeling, the church in general, and the Reformed Church in particular, has historically placed special robes on her ministers when they conduct worship. This helps the people to remember that it is not just good old Jeff Myers up there. Rather, it is God's appointed minister leading us into God's presence and speaking God's word to us. Strictly speaking, the worship service is not conducted by Jeff Myers anyway, but by the robe of office which Jeff Myers happens to be filling at the current time. We submit to the office, not to the man during worship, The concept of submission to church office is eminently biblical. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Ephesians 4, 11, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, 1 Timothy 3, 1, Hebrews 13, verse 7. These truths are reinforced when the pastor wears something that reminds the people of his special calling on the Lord's day. In the Bible, clothing and calling are often connected. A person's calling or office together with whatever authority is connected with the office is often visually symbolized by the clothing that the man wears. And he gives various uh, scripture references here, Stevie, all from the Old Testament or largely from the Old Testament. The purpose of the robe is to cover the man and accent his God-ordained office or calling. End quote. And I want us to, to look specifically here 
uh, in regard to the Baptist church. This is from robesworld.com, quote, The robe worn by Baptist ministers is called the Baptist pulpit robe. The pulpit robe is a clerical gown with wide sleeves that are worn by members in the Christian churches who have already been ordained. The main reason why different pulpits wear different robes is so that each one can convey authority and solemnity during their duty to spreading God's word to worshipers. The robes are worn by clerics and other church leaders because they symbolize the history of the religion. They also convey solemnity, showing that those wearing them have authority over others in religious matters, end quote. And there's a couple of lines here, Stevie, that are concerning. First of all, being ordained is also non-biblical, and this would certainly be another good topic for future segments, as would be the entire concept of someone, quote, having authority over others in a worship service. And finally, this is from French Calvinist theologian Richard Pequier, quote, It is natural that a man who officiates in the worship of the church be clothed in a manner corresponding to the task assigned to him and expressing visibly what he does. Moreover, whoever leads in the act of worship does not perform as a private party, but as a minister of the church. He is the representative of the community and the spokesman of the Lord. Hence, an especially prescribed robe, a sort of ecclesiastical uniform, is useful for reminding both the faithful and himself that in this act he is not Mr. So-and-so, but a minister of the church in the midst of the multitude of others, end quote. So we see from these citations over and over uh, the purpose of what these robes are. It is to designate a difference or a separation between the speaker and those in the audience. So if you'll notice, I, I, let me back up a step here. Never once, and I've been in many dozens of churches of Christ over uh, the years of my lifetime, never once have I been in a church of Christ where a speaker wears a robe or any sort of special garment. Any time that I have been in a church outside the church of Christ, I have never once been in a church service where the speaker did not wear some sort of robe or designated garment. Let's look at what the Bible says about this. If you have your Bibles this evening, turn to Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 8. And I want us to read this together. Jesus here is talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, beginning in verse 1. Then spoke Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not you after their works. Jesus is saying, don't follow along and do what these people do, for they say and they do not do. Verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Verse 5, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Ah, verse 6. And they love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, 
but be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all your ye are brethren. So we see here uh, the description that Jesus is giving here specifically about these robes and these garments that they wear, these specialized garments. And he mentions in verse 5 the specialized or enlarged borders of their garments. Matthew Henry wrote about this in length about these verses, quote, The scribes and the Pharisees explained the law of Moses and enforced obedience to it. They are charged with hypocrisy in religion. We can only judge according to outward appearance, but God searches the heart. They made phylacteries. These were scrolls of paper or parchment written, wherein were written four paragraphs of the law to be worn on their foreheads and left arms, they made these phylacteries broad that they might be thought more zealous for the law than others. God appointed the Jews to make fringes upon their garments, Numbers 15, verse 38, to remind them of their being a peculiar people, but the Pharisees made them larger than common, as if they were already thereby more religious than others. Pride was the darling, reigning sin of the Pharisees, the sin that most easily beset them, in which our Lord Jesus takes all occasions to speak against, end quote. So, back to the submitted question, and the answer is absolutely not. There is not a command, there's not an inference, there's not a hint, there is no suggestion that robes are a requirement to worship God. And in fact... If you declare that one has to don some sort of special robe to serve God, you would by definition dictate that the likes of John the Baptist was a sinner. We're very specifically told how John the Baptist dressed. We know that he he looked like a wild man. He dressed in camel's hair. He ate. Uh, we know what his uh, diet was of locust and wild honey. This was certainly uh, a man who did not wear special garments or elaborate robes or anything of the sort. This was the man who was making way for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And certainly we would think that if robes were a requirement, it would be mentioned here. But it's quite the opposite. John the Baptist dressed as a very humble uh, mountain man, and there's no mention made whatsoever of him donning any sort of special apparel. So the answer is no. There is no requirement given uh, that preachers should wear robes or any other special clothing during worship assemblies. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. When I see the Whenever I'm in despair 
listening to the gospel light radio show give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of jesus christ now my co-host robert lee johnson and his subject jesus is the answer to religious confusion thank you sir and welcome to all of those who are listening to the uh, program tonight it's real good being with you I'm always happy to be on the program and to be a part of what uh, we are doing here. And I trust that the Word of God will uh, be a blessing to your life and that we'll be able uh, to really convey to you the true meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it is that, that God is interested in men understanding and being in obedience to his will. Uh, that we can share uh, the hope of the forgiveness of our sins in this life and to have the promise 
of eternal life, which is to come. Uh, Hence, my subject tonight, Jesus shows us the way out of religious confusion. I believe that to be so important uh, tonight because many have no idea uh, that God is able to help us, that God is able to lead us and, and to be our guide and to certainly bring us into uh, an understanding of what the Bible means, that we can understand it and, and do what it says. I appreciate uh, the two ministers before who were um, on and shared a Bible question and uh, preached the Word of God. Uh, it's so good to to know that there are ministers today all over the world standing uh, for the preciousness of the gospel. And I appreciate Stevie, who is here, um, directing this program. And I, I trust that God will continue to work in, in his life and that God will help him uh, as he continues to, to serve God and strive to be obedient to the preciousness of the gospel. As we study the Word of God tonight, I trust that you'll have Bible in hand and maybe take down some notes and look at those scriptures that are mentioned uh, that you can get a clear understanding of what it is that God would have us to know and to do. Jesus shows us the way out of religious confusion. That would be my topic tonight, and I invite you to uh, listen to the Word of God, and and I invite you to follow along with me and that you search the Scriptures to make sure uh, that I am in the book of God because that's the only way uh, that we can please God. Many people who wish to follow Christ, uh, they are simply repelled by the multitude of denominations and by the conflicting doctrines and practices that are taught by those who are professing to be Christians. Uh, such distaste for denominational division is really in keeping with the spirit of the New Testament, as we will read tonight in the Scriptures. Uh, I want to turn, if you please, to the 17th chapter of the book of John. Jesus the Savior of the world, the one whom God sent uh, to die for our sins and to encourage us in the way of God. Uh, Christ taught very plainly uh, in the word of God that that uh, we're not to be divided, but rather we're to uh, be united upon the precepts and the commandments of of God. Uh, here is Christ's prayer for believers. The Bible says, and I start in John 17, 20 through 21. The Bible says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, uh, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Uh, division was never close to the heart of Christ. Christ wants us to be united uh, through his word and through his will. 
He wants us to be united in our worship uh, services, and and God is interested in us spending eternity with him. And so as a result of that, uh, we have to understand that we must abide in the teachings of Christ, that we must abide in the will of God. Jesus said, I'm praying for my apostles to be one. That's what he prayed for. And he said, the believers, those who believe on me through their word, that that is speaking about us and people all over the world, that they all may be one as thy father art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And so, so many believers today have a sour taste in their mouth uh, when they look at the religious ways of, of men. But what we need to start looking at is what the Bible says. Uh, what does the Bible teach? And if we're to walk in God's way and to do God's will, that is the thing that's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, not only did Jesus condemn religious division, but Paul condemned religious division. Listen to him, friends. Now I beseech you, brethren, he said, uh, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says that they all speak the same thing, uh, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And uh, he says, for it has been declared unto me, of you, my brother, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions, the Bible says, among you. And and, and Paul is speaking frank to them, and, and, and he's speaking down to earth to them. And he's letting them know that this is something that shouldn't be. Now this I say that every one of you saith I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Then he asked a disturbing question. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Certainly they were not baptized in the name of Paul. Paul didn't die for them. Jesus did. And Jesus wants us to be united by his loving word and in his loving word. While some denominational leaders like to justify their existence, we know that religious confusion does not come from God. For the Bible says God is the author of peace and not of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 33. The Bible says God is not the author. He is not the author of confusion. The Bible says but of peace as in all churches of the saints. And so religious strife is indicative of carnality and a work of the flesh. Paul said again to the Christians in Corinth, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife. He says, And divisions are ye not carnal and walk as men? For, for, for while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? And so I just simply want to say tonight, friends, it is possible for people today to simply be Christians, you see, and, and we, we should want to be nothing else. 
We should not contribute uh, to the denominational division that is in the world today. And so Jesus today is able to show us the way out of religious confusion. I want you to notice the example of our Lord. And what talks about him, and therefore we need to follow him. When you look at the religious climate in which Christ lived, when Jesus came to this earth, the Israelites were living under God's law as Moses gave it. They was living under that law. And um, God did not desire his people to be divided. He did not want them in religious sects or parties. Yet by the time of Jesus, the Jews have formed several distinct religious parties. We know, we know, we know the Pharisees. Uh, when you look at them, they were somewhat conservative. And then we find that there were the Sadducees. They were very liberal, the modernists of their day. We look at the Essenes. Uh, these were radical isolationists. We look at the Herodians and the Zealots. They were political, religious people. So it was assumed that all who were serious then about religion, as we look at this climate today, would be associated with one or another of these groups. But what did Jesus do? Which one of those groups did he become a member of? Christ maintained a non-sectarian relationship with God. To which of these groups did Jesus belong? I, I just want to tell you tonight that Christ belonged to none of these groups. He was not a member of either one. Instead, Jesus maintained a non-sectarian relationship with God to the very end of his life. As an Israelite, Jesus lived at a time when the law of Moses governed the people of God. Christ was simply an Israelite. In addition, he encouraged all to live by the word of God. That's what we should do today. People should be encouraged to live by the word of God. When Jesus lived, the law of Moses was in effect. Matthew 5, 17 through 20, shows us the mindset of the Lord. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass. The Bible says one jot or one tittle um, shall in no wise pass from the law. And Jesus was very serious about this because he finished by saying, until all shall be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Unto you, the Bible says that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. The words of Christ in Matthew five seventeen through 20. 
In other words, Jesus encouraged all to simply be what the law of Moses commanded of them to be, what the law of Moses intended them to be. What were they to be? They were to be Israelites. What would Jesus be today? Would Christ be a Baptist, a Catholic, a Presbyterian, a Methodist? Do you think Christ would be one of those? If he was simply an Israelite in days gone by, Christ would simply be a Christian today. That was certainly what his disciples came to be called. In Acts 11 and verse number 26, the Bible says, the Bible says that when they came to Antioch, they brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Listen now. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That's what they were called. In the New Testament, they were called Christians. So the, the example that Jesus has set for us is clear. Just be what God originally intended uh, for us to be under the law. They were to be Israelites. And so, in the New Testament, the Bible calls them Christians. And so I'm saying tonight that that's what we should be. We should be what God says uh, we ought to live in and to walk in. So when people ask me, they say, well, what are you religiously? I say, well, I'm a Christian. Then they want to know, well, what kind of Christian? And what they mean by that, they mean, are you a Lutheran Christian? Are you a Jehovah Witness Christian? I'm not either one of those. I'm none of that. I'm just a Christian, a member of the Lord's church. And so, friends, that's what we should teach people. We should teach them to be what the Bible says they need to be. Now, Jesus taught men that they should be in the Lord's church, the Lord's church. Jesus promised in Matthew 16 and verse number 18, listen to him. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock Christ said I would build my church. That's what he taught. That's what he said. And he ended by saying, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the word church comes from the Greek term ekklesia, which means a called out people. It means an assembly. It means a congregation of the Lord's people. That's what God intended for us to be. Jesus was promising to create his own group of people who have been called through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you might say, well, Brother Johnson, how does this uh, calling take place? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, that uh, those who obeyed the teachings of Christ, they were called. So when people say, well, are you a called Christian? Yes, I'm a called Christian. Are, are we called directly from heaven? No, not directly from heaven, but we're called through the scriptures. And Second Thessalonians 2 and verse number 14, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of, of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Today we're called by the gospel. We're called by God through the preached and taught word. 
according to Paul, this is the way that God calls us today. So on the first Pentecost, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, we see by preaching the gospel, Peter called out those uh, who were willing to express their faith in Jesus Christ. In, in the book of Acts, which is the uh, book that gives us uh, examples of how men were saved, in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 38 uh, through 41, we find these words in the word of God. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is what is taught in Scripture. And so if men want to be saved, and if they live like the Bible says they uh, should live, then they will look at the teachings of Christ, which is in the New Testament, and therefore follow it. Notice that those who gladly responded in faith, repentance, and baptism, the Bible says they were added. So then the question arises today, added to what? Uh, and by whom? We find the answer in verse number 47, where the scripture says uh, here, let me just find it, give me a moment, uh, Acts 2:47. listen to it. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Those who are being saved, God added members to that body. And during that time, there were no Baptists, there were no Methodists, there were no Church of God as we know it today, or Jehovah Witnesses, but they were simply added to the church of the New Testament. That is the body that Jesus uh, said very plainly that he would build to the ones who were being saved, were added these people who were interested in their salvation. The day of Pentecost was the beginning of the Lord's church. His ecclesia, the called out body, this called out assembly, a group was created when the gospel was proclaimed and people responded to the teachings of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And then, and then many more were added when the gospel was expanded through the preaching of the good word of God. At first, the church existed only there in Jerusalem. As the gospel spread and people responded to the power of the gospel, groups of these same people were found in various cities, and they met together, and they grew in the New Testament way, and they pleased and satisfied God. And wherever the church uh, was accepted, when the gospel was preached in that particular local vicinity, the church would spring up. And so in a local sense, the church is wherever men have been saved. And then in a universal sense, uh, from that particular aspect, uh, it is speaking of the church and all of the saved who have come uh, to God uh, through the preaching of the gospel. Paul, on his first missionary journey, established many churches. 
Let me show you. In Acts 14, uh, 21 through 23, the Bible is very plain, and it tells us there uh, in Acts 14, 21 through 23 of the work of the Apostle Paul. Scripture says that as the Word of God was taught, that people uh, became interested in the truth of God, and therefore they obeyed the teachers of Christ, and the church of Christ was established all over the world. And so, and when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confessing souls of the disciples, and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had obtained the elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom uh, they believed. Friends, we need to believe on him today. We need to believe on him, him tonight. We need to turn our attention to the word of God and love God like none other, to put the kingdom of God first in our lives is what God is calling upon us to do today. Now, those people who became Christians, the Bible says that they were edified through the apostles' doctrine. That's the thing that God wants taught today, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the apostles, the apostles' doctrine, if you please. Though united in Christ, these local churches were independent of any human association or federation of churches. Christ directed them through his inspired apostles as they taught them how to worship and work together. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42. You will find there uh, these words... uh, regarding the work of the apostles. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Such a beautiful description of the work of the church. They were not going in their own way, but they were loving God, and they loved the true worship of God, and they worked together. Sometimes this teaching by the apostles were done directly. Other times it was done by appointed emissaries, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse number 17. Just as often the teaching was done through the epistles or letters written by the apostles. They wrote these letters. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, and I believe it's verse number 30. Seven. So look with me there, First Corinthians 14 and verse number 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, that they are the commandments of the Lord. Yes, they are. These are the commandments of the Lord. Some people say, well, Paul wrote his opinion. Paul did not write his opinion. Paul was guided by the Spirit of God, and Paul wrote as the Spirit directed him uh, to write. So 
when we read what the Bible says about the Lord's church, we learn that by responding to the gospel and paying close heed to the apostles' doctrine, that the people in the first century were able to be Christians only without all of the confusion that is prevalent in the world today. That's my plea tonight, that we walk united in God's way, that we lay down everything that is destructive to the cause of Jesus, the traditions of men, the ways of men, and the things that uh, divide us. But you ask the question tonight, Brother Johnson, is it possible for us to do this today? Yes, and a thousand times yes. And so when we look at the way out of religious confusion, let me give you just a few points, and then I'll be Number one, accept the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the word of God is preached, we should run, we should instantly obey the teachings of Christ. Remember that Christ calls us into his ecclesia, that's his church, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can begin by obeying the same instructions that Peter gave on the day of Pentecost. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Listen at Peter. They said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So men need to repent. They need to get baptized, and they need to recognize that this is what God wants them to do. We know that this is true. Because on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved, turned away from their sins, turned away from the false ways of men, turned away from the law of Moses and the conflicting teachings of men, and they became members of the Bible church. And so being saved in this manner, we know that the Lord truly adds to his church, just as he added then, God is still in the business of saving people, but men can only be saved as they obey the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to follow the example. Secondly, we need to follow the example of the early Christians. The early Christians, the Bible says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So many today are turning away from the apostles' doctrine, saying that it doesn't make sense, saying that it is old, saying that it is traditionalistic uh, in manner, and therefore wanting something new and bringing in new stuff. So men are doing this today and trying to justify it. They can't find an ounce of Scripture to justify it. And so these people, they join no religious organization, Priest Johnson, and I'm saying neither should we join uh, one today. In Christ, we are automatically united with all others who are in him. As members of the Lord's church, we should study carefully what is taught in the New Testament and how the church is described and how those who continue in the way of God. Friends, I urge you tonight to just be a New Testament Christian. And so this description, as I told you earlier, is found in the book of Acts. It is also found in the epistles. 
and we're to follow those things that God sent down from heaven. The apostles taught us to worship the Lord acceptably. Amen? Uh, we are to be scripturally organized as local congregations. We're to work together as Christians, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ through the world with the example that we find in the New Testament. And so the apostles were guided by the Holy Spirit. We may be sure that their instructions were exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. And if we duplicate the early churches by following the apostles' instructions, I'm telling you tonight, friends, that we will simply be Christians as we can find in the teachings of Christ. And I know God and Jesus will be pleased uh, with us. As Jesus said to his apostles the other day, he who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me, Jesus said, rejects the one who sent me. As I conclude tonight, let's be a Christian. Let's live according to the teachings of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we find in the New Testament. I'm saying tonight that there are literally thousands of congregations throughout the world there's likely one in your neighborhood today. You need to contact that church and follow the teachings of Christ and just be a New Testament a Christian. God is so good. God wants us to be saved. Friends, dedicate your life to him today. Become a New Testament Christian. People said, many brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Acts 2.47 says that God added them uh, to the church. Acts 2.41 says those who gladly received his word, they were baptized. And there they became Christians, members of the church of the New Testament. Let me thank you so much for listening tonight. I trust that the word of God has meant much to you tonight. I trust that you have uh, learned something helpful to you in turning to Christ. I want to thank Stevie and uh, those who uh, worked so hard in this business uh, to to help people to to find the way uh, to God. And I trust uh, that you will find your way to God by believing the gospel to be true, repenting of every sin that you've ever done, confessing Christ to be the Son of God, and then get baptized in the body of Christ, and God will add you to uh, his kingdom, to his church, to his body, and live faithfully in the church until he comes again and God will give you a home in heaven. Please continue to listen to the Gospel Light radio show and uh, continue to find lessons of this kind that will be helpful to you. Thank you so much. Have a good night. May God bless you and keep you. In the name of his son, do I send this sermon, this, these words of encouragement out tonight. 
and may you heed them and obey them. In Jesus' name, have a great evening. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you, Stephen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. It ain't easy, no, sometimes it gets hard down here, Lord, sometimes it gets rough, so rough, so rough, sometimes it gets tough for me. Has anybody been lonely all by yourself? Has anybody been sad, broken hearted and sad? Have you even been dead? You had to cry all night.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning into our broadcast this evening. We certainly appreciate all those who've been following our radio show here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as on social media, Facebook Live. I want to thank both my co-hosts, Glenn McMillian and Robert Lee Johnson, for their efforts on the show tonight. Both great lessons. I also want to thank my co-host, Tim Bench, for answering our question in the shout-out segment. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just so thrilled to be able to bring you a weekly broadcast, and it is our prayer that the lessons that were given on this radio show have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord's been strengthened because you're not only tuning in to this radio show, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. I want to say on behalf of all of my co-hosts here on the gospel light radio show, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the gospel light radio show. And if you miss me from singing, sing and you can't find me nowhere, nowhere. come on up to glory. glory. I'll be singing the fair. Yes, I will. And I know the Lord, He will grieve me over yonder. The glory. glory, I'll be praising the fair, I'll be praising the fair, the of the day, Jesus will be the 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You've been listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show, episode 250. I know, Lord, I know the Lord, you'll take care, you'll take care, take care of me. Yes, he will. I know the Lord. I know the Lord. He'll take care. He'll take care. Take care of me. Oh, yeah. He will. Oh, when I'm down oh, yes. to my last time, oh, yes. I call on you and you Every day to walk in the right way. My, my, my. It gets hard. Hard on this road. It gets so rough. Tell him how he took care of you. Time. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord. 